Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in the motorcycle industry right to you. I'm Dave Selecki. I'm Dale Spangler, and this week our guest is Preston Campbell. Moto America is the official sponsor of Pit Pass Moto. After extremely close racing at Pittsburgh International Race Complex, Moto America Class Championships are coming down to the final two rounds of the season. Don't miss a minute of the action at the final two rounds in New Jersey and Alabama. Get your tickets now at MotoAmerica.com or watch practice, qualifying, and races live on Moto America Live Plus Video On Demand streaming service. Get your tickets in a camping spot today at MotoAmerica.com. And be sure to follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Before we get to this week's guest, we'd like to bring you the Pit Pass Moto All Access segment. There seems to be a trend in pro motocross, and it's the scoop rear tire. And a little bit of history about that, there was a paddle tire that was used to win the 1979 Oakland Supercross by one Jimmy Weiner, and ever since the AMA has banned that tire. So there's a resurrection now of a very similar looking tire and a lot of the top racers are using it. I kind of wanted to see what you thought and uh, tell me what you know about paddle tires to begin with. That's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, we're definitely like literally getting the scoop here because uh, this has become a thing. It's kind of funny, but they keep bringing it up on television, how Eli Tomac keeps choosing this paddle tire. And I think I know why. I, I think it's something to, obviously starts are very critical these days with so much top talent out there a good start is imperative if you want to win a race. And we saw that this past weekend. Tomac ran the uh, scoop tire for the first moto, and it seemed to work. But the second moto, when the track became much harder, he really seemed like he struggled to a fifth place. And, wow, I feel like it was a missed opportunity. But it's funny, though. So I can take this back to my, my time racing in the 80s where there was a tire called the Yokohama Super Digger 540. And I don't know if you remember that, Dave, but that thing was... My dad and I always carried one of those everywhere we went in case there was a mud race or if it was deep sand. And I definitely got some hole shots with that thing. So I understand where like Tomac's coming from running this scoop tire. And actually, I, I think that tire is still around, believe it or not. But like Shinko now has a 540. And I believe they bought all the molds from Yokohama back in the day. So that tire actually still exists, that super digger. So I know it worked for me. I ended up getting a hole shot once in the, the Florida Winter Series in the pro class in a super muddy, sandy race in Cocoa Beach. And so it really works when uh, the the ground is deep and especially when they dig these starts up like they do at these nationals, start seems to be everything. Just makes me wonder. I think you mentioned that you're kind of giving up one aspect of, of the bike uh, performance for another by running that tire. But 
I do know it's pretty prevalent in Europe, and I got to wonder if Antonio Cairoli come over here running that tire, who got some really good starts early in the season. If a few people got, hey, man, maybe he's on to something that, uh, that I got to try, but... It is interesting, and uh, we'll see over these next two rounds because we've got a really close uh, points battle for that top 450 spot between Sexton and Tomac. So we'll see if uh, Tomac pulls out that uh, scoop tire again. I just worry that, you know, that's getting into Tomac's head a little bit because obviously it was such a big difference from the first moto to the second moto this last weekend at Bud's Creek. And obviously the ground was getting really hard in that second moto, and he just seemed like he was not comfortable on the bike at all. Like he had some sketchy moments, and uh, that was certainly an opportunity loss for Tomac after after the first moto where Sexton placed seventh place after going down twice. You know he had a huge points gain there, and then the second moto he gave some of it back when Sexton won the moto and Tomac was fifth. So I just wonder if that's really going to be in the back of his mind these last two rounds of which tire to run. You know, do I give up? Do I get a good start and then give up that traction in the moto later on? Or do I go for the scoop and get the start and try and hold on to it? So that's going to be, I guess, what we're going to be looking forward to finding out here in the last two rounds. Another interesting story coming out of pro motocross this year, Dale. I don't know if you followed this, but it's uh, it's pretty cool. There's a young man named Matthew Burkeen, and he's racing, not all the races, but most of the East Coast races on a two-stroke Yamaha in the 450 class. And he does a video blog on YouTube, and it's such a compelling story. It's him and his girlfriend loaded up in their uh, small pickup, going to each round. They put up an easy up, and they get uh, help from other racers to to get bike maintenance and washing and things like that. And it just kind of takes me back to those true privateers, the guys who used to show up in their pickups and race a national. And uh, this guy has got just all kind of moxie going out there trying to race against these guys and be competitive on that two-stroke. It's pretty cool stuff. I actually wasn't familiar with him until you brought it up earlier. But after watching a few of his videos and checking out his social, what a good vibe, though. He just seems like him, him and his girlfriend are just, tra- they're, they're kind of living the dream is the way I describe it. You know, they're not making it too serious. They're just having fun. They're becoming fan favorites. Almost like they're, the, they're sort of replacing Stank Dog, how he was doing that on the two-stroke last year. So he's taking up the reins of the two-stroke. And boy, from what I've seen, the crowd's reacting to it. He's having a lot of fun. He's just got a really hilarious personality and sense of humor. So definitely recommend if you're not following Matt Burkeen to definitely check him out on YouTube and, and follow him on social. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We'd like to give a warm pit pass moto welcome to factory Honda JCR rider and Heron Hound racer, Preston Campbell. Preston, how are you doing today? What's happening with you today? I'm doing great. I'm uh, I'm in New York 
on a vacation, just uh, checking checking out the city and uh, Long Island. Awesome. That sounds fun. So let's talk about your, your season so far. It's kind of been a little bit of a mixed bag for you. So you're coming off of, coming into 20, 2022, you had third place overall in the Heron Hound series which had to be like definitely a boost in confidence coming into 2022. And then you've been having a really consistent season so far. And then I think from what I understand, you had a pretty bad crash in May at the fifth round um, and uh, you're probably on the men. So tell us what happened there and uh, how the recovery is going. Yeah. So I uh, finished third last year and I was pretty uh, happy and ready to go for this year and finished third at the first round. And then I got sick for a couple months and I was like just trying to figure it out. So I wasn't really getting able or being able to train and stuff other than just racing the races, but managing decent finishes. And then once I got that all figured out, I was like, felt like, okay, I'm back and uh, ready to go. And we went to round five in May up in Ridgecrest and I got the whole shot. And I was feeling good, running podium position. And then I clipped a rock and I landed right on my forehead. And I didn't get it knocked out, but right away I knew like I broke my back. And I had to sit out there for over an hour. Jacob Argybright was super helpful. And shout out to him for sitting out in the desert with me. And then I ended up breaking T6, had to have surgery fuse my back. So the last 10 weeks, I have not done much. I'm just starting to be able to move and uh, get back, uh, get doing some therapy. So it feels good to be outside again. Yeah, I imagine so. So I, so I take it then you probably won't be able to make it for the last three rounds, maybe, maybe the, maybe the very last one, or are you, you going to just kind of push it off until next year? Um, I'm just going to push everything off. I don't have any real time timeline of when I'll be back racing. I hope it's sooner than later, but I'm not going to rush. <laughs> it's a pretty big injury. I would, I'd like to be 100% and get all my uh, strength back and be ready to go when, when I go to a race. No, that makes sense. You, you definitely want to have all your faculties in place when you're racing Heron Hound. And, and let's talk a little bit about that because I think maybe some of our listeners out there that don't follow closely the National Heron Hound Series just how unbelievably exciting it is to witness a bomb run at a national heron hound. So tell us a little bit about that from your perspective, what it's like with a mass start of, you know, a couple hundred riders taking off at a heron hound. It's, I've seen a few myself and it's a pretty amazing thing to witness. Yeah. A bomb run's a uh, special, um, you only get it in West coast desert racing, 200 people line up and they go, they, uh, drop a banner, dead engine start, and but the bomb's usually about a mile long, and then you have to funnel into the main trail. So there's a lot of riders going really fast from lines crossing, and it's pretty crazy to witness, it, but it's like the best feeling in the world when you're leading at the end of the bomb. Yeah, definitely the place you want to be going into that uh, trail system. And uh, speaking of trail systems, I have to ask you, you've uh, you've raced a lot out west and been very successful. You've also come back east and raced some GNCC racing. And I know you've said that the uh, the snowshoe event was the nastiest 
gnarliest event you've ever raced. Are there any plans to come back and do any more GNCC? And what's what was that like for you? I love coming back east and racing uh, GNCCs or National Enduro. I like just going to new places, and but it's definitely a different experience than what we get out um, west. Just everything's different. The racing, the terrain, which is probably the biggest part to have to get used to and adjust to that style. Um, I rode four, I think four in 2020, and I it was a struggle every round, but I had a lot of fun fun doing it. Yeah, and that's definitely the type of racing that uh, helps round you out as a rider. I know, you, I know you've said in the past that you want to be a, a really good all-around rider, not necessarily a, a one discipline. Is that true? I like to be able to go everywhere and be, be able to like enjoy all types of different styles of racing. I, uh, you know, I like to change it up and not just stick to one thing for too long. And there's been a few racers from your area of the country that the Larry Rosslers of the world that have, you know, kind of mastered a lot of the disciplines. And it's pretty admirable that you want to be that type of rider and not just be one type of rider. So that gives you a lot of variety and capability, I guess, is maybe the word you're looking for or proficiency. It makes you a better rider in the other disciplines. Exactly. Like I went back east and I rode a bunch of different styles or a bunch of different races, different places. I came back and I was a better desert racer. So just uh, just everything where you learn something racing one style race, it could help in the future somewhere else. So let's talk a little bit about growing up. You obviously, your dad is an absolute off-road legend, Johnny Campbell. He's won 11 score titles, 17 Baja 1000 wins. I mean, what is it like growing up? You know, I, I've wondered this for, for multiple racers. There's quite a few racers out there right now, more so on the motocross side, like Christian Craig, his dad, Mike Craig, Liam Everts in Europe, who his dad is Stefan Everts, 10-time world champion. I wonder, though, does that, add, does that put pressure on you to succeed, you know, having, you know, a, a champion father? Or is it maybe on the, the flip side of that, whereas, you know, you have those advantages of having your dad in your corner someone that knows how to read terrain, you know, like he's raced so many Bajas. I'm just curious to know what that was like, you know, growing up around your dad and, you know, how that's influenced your racing. It's definitely been, I'd say it's a really good thing. He's never put any pressure on me to race or do good or anything. It's everything. My racing is all what I want to do. Or So he's never been like, like uh, really pressuring me and we have a really good relationship. So everything he has so much experience from all his racing for the last 30 years that he's taught me a bunch of stuff so i i haven't had as many problems or issues because he's already experienced all that stuff yeah i think i saw where you i read where you you actually you've been riding since you were three but you really didn't start racing till you're in your teens and that makes me kind of just think that your dad just kind of let you do your thing and if you're interested in racing cool but if not you know he, like you said he wasn't really putting that pressure on you was that the case yeah exactly like yeah he taught me how to ride when i was three and then i raced i raced little kids races at the motocrosses or the grand prix when i was about three or four but i never that was the only time i rode and i never cared i would just ride around when i wanted to my dad would bring my bike out to the desert out to race and but there was no uh no rear really uh pressure or plan or goal with that it was just uh when i was like 
13 or 14, then I started really having a lot of fun and writing more and more. And then I was like, okay, I, I like this. I want to do this. With having that influence from your dad, I'm wondering, uh, you know, what's something like, like reading train is obviously a huge part of Heron Hound because, you know, you're, you're going at fast speeds. You know, there's a lot of ups and downs, undulations, rocks, like you said. So being able to read, read train is imperative. So is that something that he, your dad's really helped you with throughout your career in, in racing here and how? Uh, yeah, he just taught me how to read the terrain, what to look for. If you see this, don't go near that. If you see that, aim for that. So he's taught me a lot, along with a bunch of other racers, just growing up around the, the JCR team and all the riders for the last 15 years. I've learned pretty much something from just about every one of those, one of the riders. So with that racing experience in mind, and as, as you and Dale discussed about reading terrain and understanding terrain, you had the honor of racing for the United States at the International Six-Day Enduro on the club team in 2021. Did a lot of that prepare you properly for that event? Were there any surprises when you got there? Or was it a natural fit for you? And how did that event go for you? Did you have a good time over there? Yeah, I, uh, last year I did the qualifiers and I made it onto the one of the U.S. club teams. And yeah, that was a really awesome experience and is probably my fav- favorite race I've ever been a part of or gone to. So I felt like I was I was okay. I did, never did anything special, but I enjoyed it and I had a lot of fun and I really hope to go back uh, hopefully next year. I kind of had a plan to go this year and then with a couple circumstances, I didn't end up going and obviously I can't even ride right now. So that was uh, put to the side, but yeah, it was a completely new style of racing to me and I had to learn that. So was, I learned a lot, like just how that type of style of racing is done and uh, walking the test, looking for at least uh, you could walk the test at six days till you know you have a uh, you at least have like a hint of how it's going to be or what to look for and try to remember as much as possible. Where like uh, yeah, hare and hound, the only thing you could look at is the bomb, which is the first mile, and then everything after that's a surprise. And nobody uh, hates surprises more than racers. That's that's for sure, especially when you're going down the trail. I imagine. So one thing I learned about you doing some research uh, is that uh, you do perform a lot of, or you were performing a lot of the uh, maintenance on your own motorcycle, which is, I, I think, currently is kind of unique for a young racer to be doing as much work that you do for, for yourself. Now, is that something that growing up in the family that you did, you had that opportunity or being close to the race shop or what really kind of led you down that path of being uh, knowledgeable about uh, motorcycle maintenance? My dad, he pretty much told me, um, if you want to ride, you got to work on your own stuff. I've, I've already done this and I don't want to do it that much longer. So he, uh, he taught me everything, how to rebuild a motor, everything to prep or go racing on a dirt bike. So um, growing up, I did all my own stuff until about last year. Then I started, uh, started having my race bikes built in the shop by the uh our mechanic uh, gauge day so that's really nice that i don't have to prep the bikes for the races anymore yeah if something needs to get done and gauges around we could get by <laughs> yeah nobody wants to clean air filters especially after a desert race i can imagine 
So I, I got to ask you, there's a there's a big growing trend of extreme enduro, and it's hitting West Coast, East Coast. There's a national series now. Do you have you had any exposure to that, or uh, any desire to kind of add that to your quiver of uh, capabilities? Because you want to be the the all around rider. That that would seem to be one of those disciplines that uh, might come your way. Yeah, I always look at those races and like like man, that would be a super cool. Or like, um, I would like to try that in the future i don't have any plans to go there anytime soon but yeah i wouldn't say no to trying one of those races out they all have like they all look unique like those one the ones in a like page arizona or uh, the one in like tko always looks really cool so yeah it'd be it'd be an awesome experience to go check those out how about the flip side of that and uh rally racing which seems to be kind of all the rage right now with you know, former Heron Hound racers like Ricky Brabeck and Chris Jacob Argybright's now kind of heading in that direction. And Skylar Howes has had some great success. So is that something that's maybe on your mind for, for down the road potentially? Yeah, of course. I, uh, I've i done some uh, road book training with Ricky and I've done quite a bit. And I never done a, ra- a rally race, but uh, so- something like a Sonora rally is pretty close and local in Mexico. So maybe uh, next year or something, I'd like to uh, start doing that. It's a lot of fun and definitely a lot of things to learn with all the how to read the road book and uh, all the different things that come with rally racing. It for sure catches my eye when uh, that style racing and it's it's the next thing or the next level of desert racing, I guess, to go to. So I think for me, it's it would be or it could be the next step. So how, like, I'm curious to know, um, I think I read where you, you've been going to this grindstone training facility there in Southern California. I imagine that's helped quite a bit, but are there some special things that you do to train for those higher speeds of like Heron and Hound? Like I'm, I'm kind of using, I'm thinking in my head, the example of how Formula One drivers, a lot of times they do all these sort of and uh, eye-hand coordination exercises so that their reaction times are quicker and their depth perception is better. Is there anything that you do like that as a, you know, hare and hound racer, like specialty type training to help for those high speeds and reading terrain? I don't do anything too special like that. The more time you spend riding in the desert and getting used to that high speed riding, the more comfortable and the more comfortable you are. I don't really... I don't really think about it twice, like when I go to the desert about how fast it is, or it's like pretty natural to me, to where I, I, my friends from the East Coast or whatever come out and go, and they're just like, oh no way, this is the craziest thing ever, or this is way too fast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just uh, it's like a just natural. So obviously, uh, you already kind of alluded to like you know no ISDE this year, you know not gonna be, you're just gonna wait till next year, but. Are you planning to kind of go for that again next year, do some of the qualifiers? I know I think there's the, it's been nice to see this series that's really helped the American riders with these sprint enduro series that have, when you do go to the six days, you're kind of a little more prepared, but is that something where you're going to probably go ahead and try and shoot for that again in 2022? Yeah, I would uh, love to go for, yeah, once I uh, start riding again, I really hope I'm, I don't know, it's a pretty big injury, so I just got to wait and see how long it takes to get fully recovered. But yeah, if I'm healthy and I could uh, go to the qualifiers next spring and get to go to uh, six days, I would. that's what I'm hoping for. Really like to go again and 
and for all the other racing like uh here in the u.s hopefully i'm ready for the beginning of all the series and could uh be back to normal well i think for right now probably just getting back on the bike you know is going to be you know just fun and, and a plus you know and then kind of build from there one last question before we start wrapping up here I'm curious to know, is there a favorite place that you love to ride over everywhere else? And uh, on the flip side of that, is there something on your bucket list of a place that you'd love to to ride if uh, someday before your career is over? I think my favorite place to ride is a special place down, down the street from my house. I got a one place to ride, and when it rains in the winter, it's, it's the best, and I don't have to go too far. And place... I'd like to ride in the future. I'd like to ride some sand tracks in in the Netherlands. Wow, that's interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that. That's you know, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. I think there's a lot of racers that are like, get me out of out of these sand tracks in the Netherlands and Belgium, and you know the super deep, you know Lommel type, you know Lommel type tracks. So, yeah, that's an interesting answer. I don't know. I don't. I don't know anything about it or or going there or anything, but. They look, they look kind of fun to try to ride. I don't know how fun they would be when you're actually riding them because how rough and gnarly they are, but yeah, they look fun. Well, Preston, we appreciate your time today and, and wish you all the best on your on your recovery and hope you get you know 100% back up to speed and we see you out there in 2022 and uh, up front again. So if you'd like to take this time at this moment to anybody you'd like to thank, maybe kind of shout out your where people can find you on social media and uh, any, if there's any websites or anything like that you'd like to call attention to, now would be the time to do that. Yeah, I'd just like to thank uh, my dad and uh, JCR Honda for for um, always getting me to the track and racing and just all the experience I, I get from traveling. And you can follow me on uh, Instagram at uh, Preston Campbell 300. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for everything. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd really appreciate it. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com, where you can check out our blog, listen to past episodes, and get your very own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, producer Leah Haslidge, and audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.